hearts, open our minds, open our ears and our eyes to receive what you have for us this morning. We ask that your spirit would come and minister to us today. In your name, Jesus, amen. 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 Well, this morning we are in John 10, uh, and if you have a Bible, crack it open. John 10, verses 7 through 11, and we're going to be talking today about sheep. So if you would uh, open up there, I'm going to go ahead and read it off the screen. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen. As we begin, I want to show you a picture can you put up that next slide here? This is from, this is a fresco. If you don't know what a fresco is, a fresco is a, a basically a, a piece of stonework um, that has been turned into art. And this particular fresco is from uh, what we have discovered as the earliest house church uh, that we've ever found. It's from the third, middle of the third century. Uh, so this is before, this is while Christianity was still being persecuted by the Romans, before it, it became um, a legal religion. And people met in houses. They didn't have churches. They met in houses. And in one house church, uh, in, this is in Syria, uh, they found this fresco. And go ahead and go to the next slide. I want to uh, zoom in here. Can you, do you see what this is? This is a shepherd. Do you see? And he has a sheep on his shoulders. And then over here you have some more sheep. There's, there's some more sheep there. Do you see that? Jesus as the shepherd is one of the oldest uh, Christian traditions of worship to understand Jesus as a shepherd and us as sheep. And this fresco from the third century, uh, to me, it's just uh, so symbolic of the fact that, you know, we've been at this for thousands of years. This is not a, a religion that sprung up last week or last year or a decade ago. And humans, I think, sometimes have a really short idea of history. We don't remember stuff beyond a few years, uh, and a few generations go past, and you completely forget everything. 1,700 years ago, Christians met on a Sunday morning to worship in a church and talk about Jesus as the shepherd, and that's what we're going to be doing today. We get to join in with them, removed by thousands of years, removed by hundreds of generations, but united over the same idea, over the same person of Jesus uh, and one day, we get to see in heaven the person who made this fresco, and we get to shake their hand and give them a hug, and they are a part of our family just in the same way that we are part of each other's family. It's such a beautiful illustration of us as a church, right? Not just this local church, but us as a whole church together. So today, we're going to be talking about Jesus the shepherd. Uh, and if you're going to talk about shepherds, you have to talk about sheep, right? Sheep are prey animals, and I have... Uh, I have some sheep here. This is my little stand. So this is this is our little this is our little flock. We have you guys recognize this this sheep? You remember this this lamb chop, lamb chop. These are our little sheep here. 
sheep are prey animals. Uh, if, you, if you don't know that, I, my uncle used to raise sheep. He used to have sheep as a part of a 4-H program for his, uh, for his daughters and for his son. And they don't smell very good. I asked him once, I said, what was that like, you know, having sheep? Because they had, they had some land, so they had some sheep in the back. And he said, I would never do it again. They stink. You know, they're not very smart. They're easily, they get diseases. You have to take them to the vet. They're expensive. They make noise. These are sheep. These are beautiful sheep. This one actually, Amy made this one. All right. She made this. I think she made this for me before we were actually dating. So that's a, oh, I I think it's made out of sock. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Yeah. I don't think we named it though. She's in the back. She's hiding in the office now that I'm talking about her. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) According to Wikipedia, which is, of course, the best source of news, uh, sheep were probably the second animal that humans domesticated. First was the dog, and then we domesticated the sheep. And we began herding sheep for uh, milk and meat and wool somewhere between 11 and 13,000 years ago. It's a long time. And since that time... Shepherds have had to find ways to protect sheep uh, because sheep are prey. In 2014, I was looking this up. In 2014, it was estimated that over 61,000 sheep and over 132,000 lambs were killed by predators in the United States, costing farmers and ranchers almost $32.6 million. It's a lot of money that's going out the door for sheep. Uh, And so you have to protect them. Somehow, and one of the most basic ways that we've protected sheep through the thousands of years is a sheepfold. That's what this is here. This is a sheepfold. A sheepfold is is basically just a uh, a structure. You could put up the. Can you put the picture up there? I have a picture of one. It's a it's an enclosure, and at nighttime you herd the sheep into the sheepfold. There's a little door there. You get them all inside, and then you shut the door. And uh, they can be protected in there during the night when they're the most vulnerable, when the, when the shepherd's asleep and, and when the, the coyotes or wolves are out prowling. Um, so when Jesus says that he's the gate through which the sheep enter, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's, he's really talking about this sheepfold and the sheep kind of, you know, coming in here. This little guy, he gets up in front. He's an important one. He's got to get his feet in, though. There you go. There. Now they're protected for the night. That, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a sheepfold and being the gate there uh, for them. He's the entrance into the fold. He's the entrance into the fold, and he's the one who protects the sheep from predators. Jesus is the entrance into the fold, right? And he's the one who protects the sheep against predators. In John 14, Jesus proclaims, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except, what? Through me, by me. Yes, through me. He's the entrance into the fold. Little sheep, you are not adrift in this world. You have a home. You have a place. Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We found safety and comfort and joy and life in the sheepfold. Have you come into the fold, I wonder, this morning? Have you come into the fold? Are you still scattered a bit on the hillsides? We need to come into the fold to find peace and 
hope and love and joy, and we enter the fold through Jesus. He's the entrance, and he's also the protector against predators. Here, Jesus is very sharp. Let's go back to verse, uh, verse 10, I think it is. Uh, Jesus is very sharp in his criticism of those who have taken advantage of the sheep. What does it say in verse 10? It says, uh, all who came before me, or verse 8, I'm sorry, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Uh, let me be frank with you, uh, just as we're kind of getting into this sermon here. I'll be very o- open. I am a pastor, right? if you haven't noticed that yet. And that means, in a, in a sense, I am a shepherd shepherding the Lord's flock here. I, I'm, I'm shepherding a flock. I'm sort of standing in for a shepherd um, in Lincoln City. And I'm going to be honest with you, as, as a shepherd, I think about threats, you know, to the flock. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm not concerned at all about threats that come from the outside to this flock. I really am not. I'm, I'm not worried about persecution. I'm not concerned about philosophical assaults on our faith. Uh, I'm not worried when Richard Dawkins, uh, who's an atheist, uh, writes another book. He, he calls Christianity a cancer on society. That doesn't bother me. Honestly, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm not worried about the United States government restricting our religious liberties. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about uh, a foreign government coming in and, and persecuting Christians. Honestly, that does not bother me at all because every time the church has experienced that sort of uh, authoritarian or assault on our faith, it's never been as damaging as people thought it would. In fact, every time the church has been persecuted, it's thrived. The church thrives under persecution. I'm not really worried about that. Um, what keeps me up at night are the thieves and the robbers. That's what I'm most concerned about. Those who entice sheep away from the fold. Right? Those who slowly erode our confidence in the sheepfold. They say things like, you're not fully satisfied here. Come on, there's a better life somewhere else than this. This whole Christianity thing is supposed to work for you, not against you. You need to come over here. It's the voice that says, you don't need to be kind to every person. That's too much. Your life is yours to live as it should be. This whole faith thing, it's a part of who you are, but it's not all of who you are. This is the deception that comes. Or when something comes in and says, they're withholding something from you. They're holding back truth from you. There's something that they know that they don't want you to know. Come with me, I will open your eyes. Don't you want to see real power? Don't you want to witness real signs and wonders? Don't you want to change the world? Do not listen to those voices, little sheep. They are dangerous voices. Don't let them creep into your head. Don't let them speak to your children. One of the promises that Adolf Hitler gave the Christian church in Germany in the 1930s was that he would restore the power of the church. He'd put them back in the center of life again and give them uh, the sort of prestige and place that they had uh, always wanted in society. So long as they would acknowledge the place of nationalist socialism, to govern the lives of Germans. 
And to many people, it seemed like a small compromise. We forget about how many people were deceived by this. But millions of people bought into this. Not because they were fundamentalists or because they, they, were, they were Nazis in their mind. Actually, the Nazi party was relatively small, especially in the 30s. But because it sounded so right, it was so deceptive. What if somebody wants to give the church a helping hand? Shouldn't we agree with that? Shouldn't we let them? You know. Hasn't the church been ridiculed and denied enough? Perhaps it is time for the church to stand up and take a more assertive role and take a bit more strength on board and be empowered and lead society. Perhaps it's time for the church to be strong instead of weak. And in response, a Nazi church was established in 1933, and it quickly grew in influence and power because the government was so behind it. And while many Christians responded with complacency, to be honest, total disregard for it, there was a group in 1934, a very small group of Christian pastors and leaders uh, who were very upset about this. And so they met in a city called Barmen uh, in Germany, and they set out a list of declarations against Nazism and against this whole idea of a Nazi church. And the group was the founding of, a, of an organization called the Confessing Church, which was basically the Christian resistance to Nazism in Germany uh, during the war and the years prior to the war. And it was quickly banned and persecuted in Germany. But the Barman Declaration became the founding document. And we're going to read the first declaration of the Barman Declaration because they quote the passage that I'm preaching on today. So can we go to that um, slide? This is the first declaration of the Barman Declaration. It says, first it has the quote here from John 10, 9. I am the gate. And whoever comes by, enters by me will be saved. And then it has this declaration. Jesus Christ, as he is attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God whom we have to hear and whom we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine that the church should, could and should recognize as a source of its proclamation beyond and besides this one word of God, yet other events, powers, historic figures, and truths as God's revelation. In other words, you want to come in and tell us to start looking elsewhere. The small compromises will give you the prestige, will give you the power, will give you the ability to lead, will put you in the center of life again, will will give you the sort of influence that you've always desired. All you have to do is acknowledge that we are responsible for truth-telling, that we're responsible for leading people's lives, that we're responsible to... Uh, give society the sort of moral structure that it needs. And the church said basically, no. No, we can't ever do that. Because to do that would be to recognize something or someone else as a source of truth. And brothers and sisters, there is only one source of truth, and that is Jesus Christ. There is only one source of truth, and that is Jesus Christ. I'm not concerned with someone putting a gun to my head and saying, confess Christ and I'll shoot you. My answer to that would be very quick and easy. I know immediately what I would say. My concern is what to do when a robber, when a thief comes at night and begins to whisper, come to me, little sheep. Don't you want something more? I will care for you. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you would just acknowledge me. Don't be deceived, little sheep. Jesus says here, 
we go back to the passage, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the original Greek here is actually uh, very emphatic. It says, literally, it says, the thief never comes unless it is to steal and kill and destroy. He only comes for this purpose. There's no other reason he comes. That seductive voice that promises you something that you want, that you desire, that old addiction which crops up unexpectedly, that unmet expectation that begs for fulfillment, the small compromise to get an edge. It may seem innocent, but the result will always be theft and death and destruction. It's the voice of a liar. The small pleasure may occupy you for a moment, but the long-term effect will be death. And the thief and the robber know this. That's why they dress themselves up always in inviting, in inviting ways and make themselves look so appealing to us. They claim to be liberators. They claim to know excitement. They claim to have access to secrets and to know shortcuts. Don't listen to them. Do not listen to them, little sheep. Their words sound nice, but their, their mouths are full of poison. That's what I'm concerned about. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Come in through the gate, which is Christ. Stay within the fold. The thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. But what does Jesus say? I have come to give you life and life to the full. In the Gospel of John, Jesus zeroes in on this idea of life. If you want to do a word study, last Wednesday we were talking about word studies. If you want to do a word study, do a word study on life, the word life in the Gospel of John and John's letters. The word life. He zeroes in on this idea. Life here, it's more about, it's more than just breathing. It's more than just waking up and sleeping and going through the cycles and rhythms of your existence. One of the more famous members of the Confessing Church that we talked about, his name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he was a young pastor and a theologian, and he uh, was there in Barman for these declarations. And soon afterwards, um, he was being persecuted. He actively worked to relocate Jews outside of the country. He set up an uh, illegal seminary to train pastors in the confessing church. And he opposed Nazism publicly, even being implicated in the famous, most famous plot to assassinate Hitler, which, which failed. And for these acts, Bonhoeffer was hanged in a concentration camp in 1945. And when they came to collect him, or his execution. The story is that he had just finished a prayer meeting with some other Christians there, and a guard came in and said, Dietrich, come with us. And by that time, everybody knew what that meant, um, that he wasn't going to come back. And so Bonhoeffer went to one of his friends there, and he gave him a message uh, for a bishop in England, and then he said his last words. His last words are these. He says, Das ist da Ende, für mich zu Beginn des Lebens. Das ist das Ende. For mich to begin des Lebens. This is the end. But for me, it's the beginning of life. This is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. His breathing, his cell production, his heart rate, all these things were soon cut off. But life, the real life, the kind of life that absorbs all of the world's troubles, the kind of life that is able to go out of a place and sustain 
existence, the kind of life that even overcomes death, that life was just beginning to take control. That life was just beginning to emerge in Bonhoeffer. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, to the fullest, to have it abundantly. You died, writes Paul to the Colossians. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's how Paul describes baptism. Next week we're going to have some baptisms and, and we're really excited about that. This is how Paul describes baptism in Romans 6. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And so when we go to baptize um, this next week, what, we're gonna be, what I'm going to be saying, you'll be on the shore, I'll be in the water, and what, we're, what I'm going to be telling the person I'm baptizing, I'm going to be saying this as I put them down, I say, uh, according to your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried with Christ in his death, and raised up again to new life in his resurrection. That is what this is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That's the power of the gospel. That's the signs and wonders. That's the secrets. That's everything. There's nothing else besides that. It's speaking life in the face of death. It's speaking light in the face of darkness. That's all, that's all it is. This is the whole gospel. This is healing for our bodies and our minds. This is restoration for our broken relationships. It's the word life spoken by Jesus into places of death. Does this mean that we won't ever taste death? No, beloved, we will all taste death one day. Unless Christ comes back, we will all taste death one day. But even that moment, even that death, will not be able to sever the ties of life that God has already begun to plant in you. Even that death will not be able to overcome the life that you have in Christ. You're dead even now to sin, but your life is hidden in Christ, in God. That's what this is all about. So we end our lives eventually, and we'll be able to proclaim, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? And this is what we celebrate also when we celebrate communion. So, Debbie, would you mind just going downstairs and bringing the kids up, and we're going to celebrate communion together. As the kids... Uh, come up. I want to read a small portion I, uh, that I have of another preacher's sermon on this particular text. If you saw my Facebook post earlier this week, um, you saw that I, uh, I found a, a sermon that my grandfather, Vincent Cox, had written and preached 48 years ago this last week uh, on the same passage that I'm preaching on. And so I have a little section of it, and if it's all right with you, I'm, I'm going to uh, read a little illustration and so this is the illustration that he has on this. He says, a member of the Everett Music Guild, he was up in Washington, a member of the Everett Music Guild invited Mrs. Cox and I to a meeting. He said, there will be a good meal and it's free. But we had, and by the way, as an aside, if you knew my grandpa, all you had to say was good meal and free. And <laughs> I got that from him, I think. He goes on, he says, but we had to go to the meeting in order to receive this honor. No one would bring it to us. Now the sinner can stay away, 
and reap the consequences of his sins. Or, if he so chooses, he can come into the presence of God and receive grace and mercy, that is, forgiveness from the consequences of his sins. Sisters and brothers, today there's a table set before us, and the choice is before you. This table was set by God. We provided the, the food and the drink, but this table was set by God. It was given freely to you. It cost God everything. But now today he offers it freely to you. And he says to anyone who is hungry, to anyone who is thirsty, to anyone who feels like they are lacking something in their life, to anyone who feels that they need more intimacy with Christ, to anyone who feels like death has begun to encroach on life, this table's open to you this morning. So when the kids come up, we'll we'll explain exactly what this means, exactly what the different elements are, and then I'll invite you to to come up. But I'm going to invite Adrian, uh, would you mind, and the worship team to come up. And would you mind playing uh, Jesus Christ once again? Is that all right? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, And so we'll have a time of worship. And then uh, when we begin to come up, I'll invite also the prayer team to be up here as well. So we'll have some prayer team members on the sides that if you want to pray with somebody, you can do that uh, before heading back. And then we, we usually do... Okay, here's the first one. What we usually do is we just say uh, to come up, take the elements, and then take them as you will. Are you going to help me pray for the, for, the, uh, for the communion today? Yeah? Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. I was sitting here during worship uh, next to Kaya. Have you met Kaya yet? She's a hoot. She's the redhead, uh, little redheaded girl. Um, and we were talking. She said, she pointed the cross. She goes, what's that thing up there on the top of the, of the cross? And I said, well, I said, that's, a, that's thorns. And I said, when they, when they killed Jesus, they put that on his head as a way of sort of making fun of him, right? Because he had said that he was a king. And so they kind of make fun of him and put these thorns on his head to hurt him. Um, and then it kind of struck me, Gosh, that's sort of a weird thing to say. So then I kind of thought, and I said, well, you know, we have it up there because we kind of like to remember that, actually. Not just that Jesus is the king, but also that he endured suffering on our behalf. Physical suffering, yes, but also the emotional suffering and mockery that was associated with that. So when we come to the cross, we bring not just our physical and our spiritual needs, but our emotional and mental needs as well. Lord, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for the life that you've given us. I pray that the life that you have, that you've extended to us, would permeate our whole beings. Lord, that it would go with us every day, from Sunday to Sunday, from year to year, God, for all of eternity, let your life be lived out in us and through us. Be with all of us here, Lord. Give us your spirit that we might do your will. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. In Jesus' name.